Hey, what's up, awesome human? Before we get started with today's episode, I just wanted to invite you to be a guest on Authentic Influence Podcast. For founders and marketers of B2B services or software companies that want to get more leads and sales online, our B2B content audit interview will concentrate on coming up with practical ideas to assist you to improve the results of your content marketing. The ideal guest would be a founder or marketer of a six or seven figure B2B service or software business wanting to grow their website traffic and generate more leads online. This is all 100% free, so head on over to www.simplecreativemarketing.com forward slash live audit. That's simplecreativemarketing.com forward slash live audit and sign up for a content audit interview today. Now here's today's episode of Authentic Influence. Welcome to Authentic Influence with host Anthony Chansamuth. The show where we get real and share the stories and struggles, strategies and tactics of successful influencers and entrepreneurs so that you too can take action to create the life and business that you choose. And now over to Anthony. You're listening to and watching the Authentic Influence podcast. My name is Samantha Riley from samanthariley.global and today I'm taking over the mic and interviewing the host with the most, Anthony Chansamuth. So, Amph, welcome to your own show. <laughs> that sounds weird, but thanks for letting me uh, on to my own show, Sam. Love it. <laughs> well, I was a bit worried there when I couldn't see you. I was like, okay, so I'm going to be running the show totally today. So, so glad that you could join us. I'm really looking forward to interviewing today. Um, I think you've been on my podcast, Influenced by Design, or it was known as Thought Leaders Business Lab. Um, I've interviewed you on the show twice. You've interviewed me on it as a mic takeover. So I'm glad that it's the first time I'm showing up on your your show and looking forward to diving in um, and extracting some genius from you today. All right, let's do it. Well, let, let's start off because I think um, I actually don't know a lot about your background. I know you from when you've been in business, but I'd love to know what your career background is. What were you doing before you started your business? Um, there's a long, I literally have, I remember I did this for a Twitter thread recently um, just to demonstrate a point, which is that where you start in your career is often not where you end up. And I started off like my first ever official job was when I was 17. I worked for McDonald's here in Sydney, uh, you know, as a, as a server. And I wasn't good enough to actually be on the grill. Like they, they tested me on the grill and I totally <gasps> no sucked. No way. Yeah, totes, totes. <laughs> as, and... as a Macca's chick, I'm absolutely ter- I, That's terrible. <laughs> I know. <laughs> And this is why, (laughs) you know, and this is why I don't make burgers for my wife, Um, so or anybody because I want them to uh, to to live. So, uh, yep. So that was kind of there. But then I studied. um, I got that job when I was. The reason I got the job was because I was going into university, uh, and I didn't want to be a burden on my parents. And I said I'm going to actually work my way through uh, a a weekend job, whatever it was, to actually save money and pay off my uh, tuition. Which I did, you know. So by the time I, the, the the you know within four years or three years of leaving graduating, I actually pay, had paid off my my student debt. Um, mm-hmm. 
And uh, so I went from there. I graduated um, with an IT degree, a bachelor, actually a Bachelor of Business um, at the University of Western Sydney in what's what we know as MacArthur, but mm-hmm. it's been re- renamed to Campbelltown. Um, it's, uh, and I came out with a Bachelor of Business Information and Computing Management degree, which is basically a fancy way of saying programming. Uh-huh. Um, and then uh, the year I graduated was the, the year that dot-com went really well and then it busted uh and so all the it companies weren't hiring and if they were hiring they were requiring that their graduates had at least five years of industry experience um and and i did not have that so i struggled for a good 18 months getting my first job um and so i worked you know to make money during that time i worked at american express uh Uh i was taking you know full time in the call center uh taking calls you know helping people get consumer credit credit cards Wow. All these kind of things, uh, and then worked my way. Uh, you know, then I finally got into IT, which was with HP uh, Hewlett Packard. I had a role going for their their, their tech support desk. Uh, it wasn't even tech; it was in customer service side. So I went to customer service first, uh, got in there, and then um, worked in the call center for about ten months before I went from being a team member to becoming the manager of the team, and I managed the team with ten staff. Um, nine of those staff were women. Uh, and so I'd, now I learned, I was learning all about the how do you deal with all the personalities and the hormones and all these things that go on between a group of women. Uh, seriously, it was like that. And um, and the other guy was this very shy Indian dude. I love him to death, but he just couldn't handle them. Um, and yeah, and then within 12 months, uh, outsourcing had happened and what they called globalization at the time. So I had the... Un, um, enviable position of actually having to let go of all my team and then going over to India and training the new team that were replacing them. Oh, um, and wow. so a lot of mixed emotions during that period, uh, yep. a lot of alcohol, a lot of um, really negative behaviors, which it wasn't really until very recently, like a few years ago, when I started to reflect on that time in my life, did I realize how toxic an environment and a culture that was, mm. um, you know, because you're dealing with all this pressure, like the Australians and the Kiwis hated, you know, picking up the phone and ringing the call centers. The yep. People in India were getting, the, the team members who were, you know, these new, young, fresh-eyed people were getting, the, you know, they started their, their, their careers, were getting slammed on the phones by yep. us, you know, us people going, why do you speak so weirdly? And all these, you know, really not so nice things were being said. Um, and I saw it on both ends. I saw what it was like. Like, how do you manage? Yeah, on both sides of that. But yeah, yeah, what's going on, right? And so I left um, from that role, became a global project manager for HP for a while, uh, and then it ended up moving to Toronto, Canada. Um, after, you know, in between, what happened was I ended up in hospital because of all the stress and had a mm-hmm. brain surgery. So, um, wow. Yeah, um, had that happen. Uh, so that was my corporate career. And I decided during sitting, lying in my hospital bed for a month, I, I, I just said, you know what, I need to do something better with my life uh, and need to be in a better environment. And so I, I um, stayed around for another year with HP. Uh, GFC in 2009 happened. Uh, mm-hmm. And then they started letting go of all their project managers and I was one of them. So, mm-hmm. you know, and that's when I actually was... Um, I had my first, what you would call a side hustle these days. Uh, mm-hmm. And so I actually uh, was on the weekend just volunteer teaching salsa. Like I was actually in, I know you're a dancer and we've had this mm-hmm. chat, mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, I was teaching, I was going out and doing socials on, on certain nights. And then during, uh, on Thursday nights, I was at the church teaching 
as a volunteer salsa instructor on Sunday I was helping out as well and then my my roommate at the time gorgeous Maria said to me hey Ed why don't you teach salsa out of our living room just to make an additional you know side income you know, as you do yeah you know and she said well, we'll move all the couches and we'll get everything out for uh, with you know we'll do all that and then you just bring people in and and she's such an entrepreneur of mind and then um yeah, I said, okay, let's give that a go. And I, I said, uh, I found this site called meetup.com, which was still very new back then. It was 2009 when this happened. And mm-hmm. uh, I put up this, um, I, I named the group Be- Toronto Beginner Salsa or something like this. And uh-huh, within uh-huh. two weeks, I had 200 registered members. And then the week la- after that, I, I uh, set up my first event and said, come to this day, uh, place at this time. Uh, and I've got my hat out and you pay whatever you want and I'll teach you for an hour. Uh, I had five people show up and I made like, 25 bucks or something um, that turned into a weekly thing and then it then led to me teaching salsa at organizations and institutions around Toronto um, wow. and they cut yeah some of those students said why don't you come and teach at our office I'm like okay so uh, that became a thing right and whilst I was doing that on evening uh, during the evenings um, and making some some you know some money to pay rent uh, I was then in during the daytime volunteering for a nonprofit learning all about social media uh, and mm-hmm. how to use social media to grow a following to uh, specifically to uh, attract people to a conference that I was helping them with um, which was four months away we needed to fill a, a venue with 200 people uh, and they said hey can you help us do that and I'm you know me being the let's say yes to everything even though you have no idea what you're doing um, mm-hmm. and work it out and that was kind of men- the mentality uh, and we made it happen Right, so uh, became that year one of the premier social um, uh, entrepreneurship events in in uh, in Canada, uh, mm-hmm. and so uh, that's kind of what I was doing before I, I got back to Sydney, um, and then started a, uh, a Facebook ad agency with another guy that I met randomly at an event called Escape Your Day Job. So, uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, we ran that for two years. Uh, I then got. Um, we split up because we were going in different directions in terms yep. of where we were both headed individually and uh, went through what I now call the divorce. <laughs> um, uh-huh. and, and, you know, I think you've been through a, a, a business partnership breakup. Um, yes. Uh, yeah, so you know what, the, it's much more involved than, than like I ever anticipated. Uh, yep. Literally, you're dealing with your bank accounts, you're dealing with your emotions, mm-hmm. you're dealing with mm-hmm. this was your best friend for two years and now mm-hmm. it's like, and we still love each other. We just didn't anticipate all these things were going to happen. And it really, it's a lot, you know. And our relationship took a hit for another two or three years before we really got back and and met up for a drink. Like it was just needed. We needed a space. We needed to to process uh, process and digest all of that. Um, and then I, I I really was feeling very down after that, Sam. Like I felt, what am I going to do? Uh, you know, I totally failed in this business. Um, and I book the one-way ticket to the US because this is what you do, right? So you book a one-way ticket to, to the US to an event called World Domination Summit in 2014 in Portland. Uh, and then you, then you, then I'm re-in, re-inspired and reinvigorated because I'm surrounded mm-hmm. by all these incredible humans that are like Chris Gillibo who actually runs the event. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and meeting some really awkward, uh, real, not awkward, awesome people who are doing just, um, you know, amazing things with their with their creative projects and their businesses mm. uh, and, and I'm reinvigorated. The other thing I was testing on during that trip was would I enjoy the process of coaching if, if mm-hmm. I turned it into uh, an actual business where I was coaching full time because I'd never mm-hmm. done that before. Mm-hmm. And so my one of the 
personal challenges I set for myself or, or objectives during that trip was, I'm just going to coach people as much as I can. If anyone's open to it and they're asking for some help, I'm just going to coach them. I'm not going to charge them. I just want to see what the experience is like just to give um, and be in a place for, you know, um, uh, of sharing in that way. Uh, and I had done up until that point some... Uh, I've done, I did my NLP master practitioner training. I had done um, uh, some different coaching courses and whatnot, and so I had had like developed those skills through through those those trainings. Um, but I'd never gone out there and gone, "Hey, I'm a coach. Do you want to like work with me? Do you want to work with me? Yeah, right. Yeah. And so that was the test. Um, I enjoyed it. Um, but then I hit a week where I'd, I had literally like eight coaching sessions per day, um, and it just I got. What I didn't realize was, <laughs> I consider your reaction. Yeah, like, exactly. Because eight a day, that just empties the tank like that fast. Yeah. yeah. And like once you hit your first person and it's a really emotional conversation and you're just like, oh my gosh, like all this stuff's coming up and it's yeah. not even your stuff, it's their stuff. And, and if mm -hmm. you don't have processes to work through that, protect yourself, uh, you know, let go of it in between meeting from one client to the next client. Uh, yeah, I, I was spent. Like at the end of yeah, the day, it, I was just yeah, like, I'm yeah. crashing. I'm out of here. Um, yeah. and I, I cannot do this. And that's when I realized I can't do this as a full-time thing, coaching six to eight clients every single day, every week. Like that's, mm. that's not going to happen. Um, mm. And so, uh, you know, I, I realized that I'll have to find a better way of doing it. Right. Yeah, totally, totally. Um, so then I, when I came back to Sydney, I, I was in a situation where, hey, like I, I had pretty much burned through all my savings when I was in the States um, and then thought, okay, what do I do? I need to get a job. But I really wasn't actively looking for a job per se because uh, part of my mind was still, I still thinking I still need to give this entrepreneur thing a go um, because I think that it wasn't a complete failure. There was a lot I had learned in the last few years um, being in business. And, you know, it was more, yeah, I still wanted to, to do something. Um, long story short, I, I, I sent a message to a guy that I knew here in Sydney on Facebook and said, hey, man, like, are you, he worked at uh, Hub, Hub Australia, which is a co-working space here mm -hmm. in Sydney and, and all over the country. Um, and I said, you know, have you guys got any part-time jobs going? Because I was open to part-time income from a job but not full-time and he said you know we don't actually have anything part-time but this is one role what which i think might be really good for you and he, he sent me the job listing and i had a look at it and i went all the skills i've been developing over the last five years are sitting on this one page right mm -hmm. and then and the kicker was that the community that, that I'd be working with and for and serving are the community of entrepreneurs, people mm. who are who invigorate me. Like I'm like I want to find a when I was in the states and had, surrounded by these people. I'm like I want to surround myself with more of these people. So I get to Australia and he's literally saying here's a job, have a look at it. I went to in one of the events they helped, they they um, hosted the following week uh, and and just felt like this is my place. Like I've got to be mm. hanging out in this place these in some capacity. Yeah, yeah, these are my peeps. Um, and so you know I applied and. Being that I'm, I'm not, you know, uh, being that who I am, I'm like I just don't want to put in a standard cover letter and CV. I've got to do a full-on PowerPoint presentation, and I put together this presentation and recorded a video. This is before Loom existed, I did, uh -huh, uh -huh. Um, whatever whatever the, the tool was. Uh, I sent that to them, um, and the general manager was blown away. And, and he basically told me after I actually got the job, he said, you know, like you just killed us with that first. Um, 
the way you apply it because you had because I had given them these are my core values as a human being these are your core values as a company and this is how they, they align right wow. and given that yeah. in a slide deck um, and, and then the other thing I told them about was how I just done this non um, non-profit charitable work in Laos for a couple of years uh, and I, I my mission is to help those young kids in Laos learn how to read and do those sort of things and the reason why I want to work with you guys is you know some of that money that that I actually want to host a retreat in Laos and I want to do that in the next two years and I want you to help me get there right mm-hmm. and so they loved the vision they loved yeah. the values and they were like this is the guy like he can present he can communicate um, and, and this is what we want for someone who can who join us in the marketing team so uh, I got that role and became a national marketing manager for two years um, and then uh, did not learn from my first experience. I burnt out. Yeah. <laughs> uh, right. Um, only because there was some restructuring going on in the organization and what our team of four that I started with became a team of one, which was me. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, and that's when I actually met Cindy during that stint. And uh, and Cindy said, hey, you, you need to get out of that position. Like you need to get out of there and because it's affecting our relationship. Uh, and, and, you know, it, it's it's not you're just burning out and she could see it from the outside. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. yeah, that's when I, 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 2015, June, 2015, I, I finally resigned. Uh, and within a month of that, that resign, resignation date, I had my first three clients for a done for you article writing service that mm-hmm. I, put, I just tested with a, a single landing page uh, and a seven day challenge I was participating in on Facebook. Um, and that led to what's now become simple creative marketing. We're six and six or oh, seven years in now. Um, and uh, it's, it's still going and, and it's uh, evolving as a business. Mm, as all businesses do. I love mm-hmm. that story. It's so in depth. And I think that the theme or the golden thread that I could pick up with all of that is that every time you lost your mojo for whatever reason, it was always about getting back into um, being surrounding yourself by the right people and allowing that collective energy to help raise you up and give you what you needed to be able to move forward. And I totally understand that because what you're right, when I lost my businesses back in 2010, that's exactly what I did. I came to Sydney, found my people. I mean, that's where we met originally and, you know, sort of, you know, went into this community and and got that mojo back. And I think that um, for anyone that's in business that's watching or listening, that if you are losing your mojo, go and find some people that are going to help you refuel, refuel, give you some more inspiration, whatever it is. Uh, absolutely. And can I, if I, if I, just to add to that, something a mentor said to me during that time when I was really in down in the dumps and lost my, like <laughs> moved on from the first business, like they, they said to me, whatever you're feeling and, and you're, you're wanting at this point in time, you know, cause I was feeling really down about finances. I was feeling really down about, um, just failure, you know, as a, as an entrepreneur. Um, and what I wanted was, uh, you know, abundance. I wanted, um, joy i wanted great people inspiring people that lifted me up and they said well go and and this was the advice they gave me at the time was go and be that for for other people um Mm. you know and so you know get out of your like you you have the right to wallow and 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 have those negative emotions and experience them because we're humans Uh, just don't stay there yeah yeah and, yeah. and, and go and seek out opportunity to give and i actually started doing things like free hugs hosting free hug sessions in bondi beach and other places around um here but also in 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 both in canada and the u.s when i was over there uh, as well and and doing random things just to um bring people together and give joy to others 
uh, and that led to open a door to opportunities coming my way and, and, and really amazing people coming my way. So, mm. um, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I wanted to just sort of put that out there as something that, that I did, I learned uh, during that process. Yeah, totally, totally. Um, I wanted to ask about your time um, coming out of the Amex call centre. I didn't know that you worked in a call centre for 18 months. What, um, or if any, um, what did you learn there that you actually use in your business now? Because I know a lot of people that have worked in call centres and they have, whilst it's not a great job, they have learned some amazing skills that have really helped them in their business. So have you had that same experience? Uh, absolutely. I think um, the first thing, my first vision that came to my head when you asked that question was actually of uh, my team lead at the time, whose name was Dean. Uh, and Dean was one of the first, uh, I guess, LGBTQ, uh, uh, get, like first gay men, that I'd, I'd, actually the only gay boss I ever had. Um, and one thing I, I remember from Dean was just his humanity and how kind he was to all his team members. Because we were in a high-pressure environment. We were taking 100 calls a day within a seven-hour, seven-and-a-half-hour window. Uh, mm-hmm. And sometimes you get very unhappy client, customers and clients mm-hmm. shouting through the phone at you. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, I remember him just being almost like a, a motherly spirit around us. Um, and and, and he, he always two things was on his sort of agenda for for each, each set shift, which was one, um, help maintain the morale of the team members um, and, and be their inspiration and be uh, a friend as much as you are a boss. Um, so I've definitely taken that on board as I work with my team members and contractors. Like that's something that, that and, and, you know, partners like yourself, like for me, it, it's always that stayed with me. Um, and the second thing is, is around KPIs and metrics. So, so Amex are very, you know, they don't become a multi-billion-dollar company without very strong mm, numbers mm-hmm. and, and data and, and these sort of things. Uh, and, and a core center, all co- I've been in three core centers, and and um, they are very strong at resource management. They have an entire team dedicated to. Uh, you know, scheduling t- team members in shifts and these sort of things and when someone's away and someone's calling in sick or, you know, someone's you know, planned leave, whatever, they've had, got a whole bloody system, three people sitting at a, t- at a desk working it all out, right? Um, and what I saw was just, they, they, they worked it out. They worked out how much every call or every minute per call is worth to the company. Wow. Right? Yeah. That's so, detail. Yeah, and so they would know, right, if we have, you know, X number of staff on the floor with the projection of these number of calls coming through this in, in an eight-hour shift, right, they could then resource accordingly, right? And they would know if they were putting out, if they were dealing with marketing and marketing would have put out a new promotion for a new card on the market or whatever the product was, um, it, the call centers would get slammed because now you get people calling for the deal, um, so they would have to staff accordingly, uh, and they would adjust their figures based on all these numbers they had. So, so that that to me was the first time I'd seen that in operation. Like for me, it was like, wow, um, mm. this is a, they've got it got it down to a science. And, and so, when you're dealing with a business, um, you know, and I'm your typical creative. I don't love numbers to that that degree, even though I support, you know, as you know, I support an accounting firm. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, but. 
and it's something I've learned from Meryl at Being Ninjas as well. It's like it's important to get to those numbers. You don't have to be that granular, but if you can mm-hmm. understand where your profit margins sit, you can if you understand where you have flexibility to move up and down on your pricing, um, and also in terms of your your staffing because your team members cost you money as well. Uh, you know, with their investment, um, then you, you've got much more ability to to do things with the business. You know, tighten tighten the ship if you need to during challenging challenging moments but also when when you have space to expand and invest in things like marketing or whatever may be partnerships you can um and though that was a huge insight that i took away from my time in the call center yeah love it love it love it so you talk a lot about authentic marketing um and i want to know why is that so important to you like what is it that made you really lean into this so the reason why I'm so big on authentic marketing is because uh, I've had the experience of being the buyer of products, services. I've been the consumer. I, I mean, I started, we all start off in that way. But before we become the business mm-hmm. owner, running our own businesses, we buy things. Uh, and I've always had, and I remember when I started my business, the first business, and I went to networking events, and something never really gelled with me, which is when I met someone for the first time, in that first 30 seconds, they're pulling out a business card, right? Mm-hmm. And it's like, wait a minute, like, we, we just met. I don't know you, yeah, you don't yeah. know me. We, you know, yes, we have our ability as humans to pick up on a vibe, um, you know, and, and that's all, and body language, and that's powerful. Uh, but I just didn't like that way of, selling a business or selling a service right so for me it was like mm, okay you know why don't we get to know each other before we we, we jump in bed <laughs> yeah so, pretty much um and that and that that's kind of when i think of a lot of marketing uh specifically for small business a lot of it is done to emulate what they what what they see larger businesses are doing so when we're looking mm-hmm, at a coca-cola mm-hmm. or you know an uber or, or whatever it may be and we go oh they're putting billboards out there on the freeway when you're driving to the highway so we should invest sixty thousand dollars and do the same thing um and it's like wait a minute that's not going to work for you like that like that's mm-hmm. you know um because they're doing radio ads, maybe we should go and do that. Or because we see some some brand that we're following has done really well with Facebook ads, um, and therefore let's jump in the ship and let's spend two thousand dollars a month on Facebook ads. And this, we had I learned this when we were running the Facebook ad agency, right? Um, so these companies were trying to invest in Facebook ads, and we would say, well, it's going to cost you, you know, fifteen hundred dollars for our. Uh, ad management fee plus your two thousand dollars a month for your ad spend right and it's going to take us three months to work out if this is working or not right and no one wanted to hear that right they wanted Mm -hmm, to say mm -hmm. hey no we're going to pay you today and you're going to make it work next week right Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, and you're going to bring us leads and you're going to get all the roi and um and the problem is that they're buying into a system that they've seen works for larger businesses that don't necessarily work for smaller businesses um and there's many ways as you know there's there's really a gazillion ways that you can market a business yep um and it's not just the three we normally talk about which is google uh you know seo organic and then you've got your your run your facebook ads or your google ads and then you might have um so you know some bni and, and business networking groups and these sort of things and there's probably that's a handful that everyone does and tries um but the key to all making any of that work is how authentic are you in your messaging like how how honest and transparent and credible do you come across in your 
communication, right? So whether you show up at a networking function or you you know, do a podcast like this or you write content or you, you know, um, pay for an ad, whatever it may be, right? What we, we as humans have, especially Aussies, we have these great bullshit detectors. <laughs> so, <laughs> we do. Right? So, so we're looking out for that. We're going, that just doesn't seem right. I'm not going to buy that. I, you know, I'm not going to go book a, you know, I'm not going to go through your 10-step tripwire funnel and, and, and uh-huh. do all these things. You know, when when, all, when I know straight up the bat, I listen to three episodes of Sam coaching someone on her podcast and I just know she's the coach for me and I'm just going to send her an email message or give her a call. Let's have a chat and see if we're a fit that like that in most mm-hmm. b2b services is the case and yep. i've i've had the experience where all i've done sam look i've just consistently put out a facebook message you know once a day um sharing a tip or whatever it may be and i literally had someone message me send me a private message on facebook saying you know i don't know what you're selling i don't care i need a coach and i don't know it's you and let's mm-hmm, make that mm-hmm. happen. What's it going to cost? Let's go. Um, and I've had that happen countless times. Uh, and every time I asked them why, like, what it was it about me? They just said, because you've been real. Like, you, yeah. you've just shown up and just been you. You didn't try and sell me into something and give me all the bells and whistles. Um, you know, you just went, okay, what's your problem? How can, you know, how can you solve it? How can it? we fix it? Yeah. Let, let's go, right? And, and, and then you also gave me some kind of guarantee or if it doesn't work out, you gave me a way out. Right, and that's what most of us are looking for. We're not looking for, right? We, even though we we say we want the Royals Royce of coaching, which is the Tony Robbins. I've had people who signed up and paid hundred, like fifty thousand dollars a year to work with Tony Robbins. Doesn't they don't get Tony? They get one of his coaches. No. Um, yep. And then, and I asked them after six months of the program. I said, "How'd you go?" And, and they said, "We've not produced one outcome from that yep. all this coaching." Yeah. Right? And it's like. Well, you, you've been sold like, like that, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. That's, uh, that's a massive yeah. marketing and sales machine. Yeah, yeah, right. And so it's, it's and then now I'm seeing all the stuff that, that him and his partners are doing and I'm going, oh, that's just questionable, man. I'm like, mm-hmm. when you have the reputation and credibility that he has, why would you get into some of these things that, that they're doing now with network marketing and other things that they're doing? I'm just like, oh, my gosh. Um, anyway, that, that's another conversation. But back yeah. to your question, yeah, I, I think it's, Anytime I bought from someone, it's been because I felt that they were honest and they were telling me to, like things that that possibly were not in their favor. Like they, they were honest and just said, you know what, like I'm not the best person for you or um, you know, I've got three packages, but this is probably the one that's going to be- best fit what you're looking mm-hmm. for. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and, and they're not always trying to push the higher end one because that's the one that's going to make them the most money. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, but they know because they're thinking that they're playing the long game. They know if they can get me on a lower package and give me a great service, um, I'm most likely going to stick around and upgrade anyway. So that, that's, you know, it's just a different perspective and, and, and a different approach. Totally. Totally. I love that. Um, so you've really niched into um, case studies what was it that made you decide to really drill down and and focus on that because there's so many people that are really afraid to you know fully niche and that's a i know that you do a lot but you really are known for you know being the person to go to for case studies so what made you actually make that transition honestly it was because of the pandemic um so what happened at the beginning of the pandemic uh what I noticed was that content agencies were in proliferation. So a lot of, so we were 
you know, putting ourselves out there as a content agency. We can do your monthly blog articles. We can do a whole bunch of other things. Um, and I didn't want to be a full stack digital service agency. I didn't want to be that um, because I didn't have all the pieces to make that work anyway. Um, but um, I was looking for something more streamlined as a, as a business model. I was looking at something that you know, we could be, we could position better. I had read um, April Dunford's book, which is called Obviously Awesome. Uh, definitely recommend that as a book for anyone who wants to understand positioning um, and, and how to do that better. Uh, and, and it made me think, so it made me think, okay, well, you know, I don't just want to be known as another copywriter because there are, if you put in Australian copywriter in Google, you're going to get so millions many. of resu results. Mm -hmm. um, even though I am ranking page one or page two right now for that keyword, but Inevitably, um, what I what it came down to was I thought about what were we producing for our clients had already produced in the last two years or three years, um, and what is it that actually inspires me about my business? And this is a good question for any entrepreneur to ask themselves at least once a year, right? And so for mm -hmm. me, um, you know, and and I thought about it and I said, you know, the thing that we, the way we started, even though we started off with us, and I mentioned the seven day challenge and the first three clients. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, the first client wanted me to do a case study for them. They actually uh -huh. said, can you interview this person, uh, one of our clients, and just get the story on, on what they, you know, their business, but also what they thought about our service. Um, and that, that client then hired me to do case studies for his business. Um, mm -hmm. And I was just reminded of that. I'm like, oh my gosh, like that's how we started. Um, and for me, I was looking at, you know, I was getting a bit tired with the whole copywriting process because copywriting... Uh, you know, for someone who, who's done for almost hitting a decade now. But for me, um, I've just gone to the point where I felt I want to be writing for myself and, and, I, and I don't necessarily want to be writing for clients. And I don't want the pressure of, you know, it's got to convert and it's got to do all these things. And um, because I can't control a lot of what happens after the copy right. leaves you know, our writer's hands or my hands. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, I, I had it over to you as a business because you're buying the copy from me. Uh, and then it's up to you to do, do whatever you want with it. But I can't control your funnel. I can't control, you know, how good your ads are. I can't control, right, all these <coughs> things that are on the page. If you've got pop-ups coming up and you've got things that distract the reader, uh, you know, I can't control any of that. So mm -hmm, it really mm -hmm. puts me in this position where I'm like, mm, I don't like that. I don't like that. You know, I can influence the conversion, but I can't control a lot of different elements to it. Um, and and so, I, you know, I went, oh, but what I can do, I like interviewing people. This is why I have a podcast. This is why I love being on your podcast and other people's podcasts. Um, I love the process of, of Q&A and digging into people's stories and motivations. Um, and that's a big part of the case study service is actually sitting on a call with someone and going for 30 minutes going, tell me all about X, Y, Z. Um, and then the other thing I like is, you know, working with my team. I have someone who writes the article once they get the, once we get the, uh, once we hit finish recording, then I have someone else who takes the video and edit chops it up and does all these nice video edit th editing things to it, um, puts the branding on it. Um, I hate doing that step, but I love that, yep. that our, our editor does that for us. Um, and then, you know, I, and I love interacting with the client. So for me, you know, that's an ideal service for me. And because, you know, it's something I learned from Meryl and Bean Ninjas is when you productize a service, you take one service and turn that into the product, um, it's much more easier to then become known for that product. 100%. Right? So, 
So so now it's like people go, you're the case study guy, right? Yeah. And, 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 and that's, you know, that's taken six, 12 months of getting out there on podcasts and, and talking about what we do and how to optimize case studies. And, and it's also forced me to learn all these things as I do when I'm speaking to clients and, and prospective clients. You know, I'm saying, look, your case study is such a powerful asset because, you know, if you're using it, you know, in your proposals, like when you're at the proposal stage of the sale, if you're using it, you know, in your pitches, when you're pitching, whether it's for investment or you're pitching a service or you're doing it on a webinar or you're doing it on, you know, as a guest on someone else's show, um, you know, if you can drop in a case study there and talk about a client that you helped get a specific outcome, right, more people are going to go, they're listening and they're going, I want that too. Uh, mm -hmm. so, so they want to come along. So it becomes much more than just something you stick up on your website, but it truly, you know, if you can, if you do it right, you can repurpose that one case study into multiple pieces of content. I don't know if you've done that. I've seen you do that with, you know, the case study we've, case studies that we've done for you. Um, yeah, yeah. And so, and that's the thing. So, so that's why we, we kind of narrowed it in. And I saw the opportunity because in that space, there really is probably one other case study, a business that's known um, for case studies and they're in the US and I know the guy who owns it um, and they've much more, uh, they started way before us. Um, so, so they kind of like, uh, so I can see how they've, they've evolved um, and, and, and they've got a good, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to say they're probably around a million dollars right now in terms of their revenue. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and I can see the path to get there if I wanted to get down that path, right? So yeah. um, that's why I wanted to really narrow in on the case studies. And as you know, sneak peek for our listeners here is I'm working on a new website and a new rebrand, right? Um, and you'll see case studies featured much more prominently on the site when you land on there when it's live. This makes me super happy because the whole time we were talking about that, I was thinking, why don't you have it on your website a little bit more? Because you, it is such a big thing of what you do. And, and you're right. If anyone comes to me and says, hey, like, who do you know about case studies? It's so easy. It's, you know, it's Amph Chansamuth. As opposed to, do you know a copywriter? Well, I know a gazillion. What yes. is it that you're looking for? It's the conversation is just so much easier. Um, so I really love that. Um, but I know we've been chatting for a while, so let's let's finish up with something that's super fun. I know that you are an avid traveler, as am I. We love traveling. Um, I know that you've been all over the world. What are your What are your three favorite places and why? Number one would be Luang Prabang in Laos. So I was born in Laos. Um, my dad actually actually was uh, he and his siblings were born in a village which is about five hours north of Laos by a car and I went there had the, the, the honor and the pleasure of, of going there with my wife for the first time um, to, I took her there and, and met my dad there actually and it was really a, a tremendous experience um, <coughs> now I love Luang Prabang because the, if you've ever, ever been there it's it's the northern most city in Laos and it sits at the crossing of two rivers, the Mekong River and what's called the, the, the Khan River. Um, in Lao, it's, it's pronounced Nam Khan. Nam means water. Um, and so uh, it has been described as one of the most tranquil places in the world. So when you sit, right, in a cafe or in your uh, Airbnb or your, you know, your, your hotel, whatever you've got there, um, and you literally, all you hear is the sound of the water running, right? Um, and it's the pace of it, of that city, 
it, it doesn't feel like a city. Like it really feels like you're you're lost in time. Like you're in the 1940s when the French had occupied and they set up these bakeries and you can smell the fresh smell of, you know, uh, uh, you know baked goods coming out from the cafe next door and you um, you got baguettes everywhere and and uh, it's it's. Like I, I've said to Cindy, I, I when I get to the stage where I'm ready to write my memoir, that's where I'm going to do that's it. That's where because, it's going to be. Yeah, um, because you just wake up and you know most of the villages are up by 6 a.m. before while the sun hasn't risen because once it gets to eight o'clock, it gets really hot. Um, and so you know the markets are happening. It's live. It's it's you know motorbikes and dogs and things running up past you. Um, but for the most part, it's one of the most beautiful um, places and and. I met a yoga, a yoga yoga instructor there one time, and 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 I, I said to him, "How would you describe this?" Because he was an American and had come to to live and work out of of um, mm -hmm. Rong Prabang, and he said, "You know," he said, uh, "He said uh, the way I describe it is, it, it, Rong Prabang is the place um, to be. It's not a place to do." Oh. Uh, and yeah, and so that's that's number one for me. Um, places. The second place I would say is Montreal, Quebec, which is in uh, Canada. Um, that's my favorite for summer, summer city, summer town. That by far, like, is my number one. And I I, I shared this with, this with, with my wife Cindy when we were dating, and I said, you know, uh, like I just have whenever I speak about it, it lights me up. Uh, it's because it's the one place that it's a super green city. And it's also one of the the best cycling cities in the world. So wow. it's got bike lanes. Like if you've read, if you try to ride a bike in Sydney, uh, you know. No, I do. I'm too scared to ride a bike in Sydney. <laughs> <laughs> exactly right. Okay. So um, and it's it's very hilly here, and it's you, you don't want to do it. Um, but in 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 Montreal, like. You literally have families. I, I was riding behind a bike. There was a four-year-old riding on his bike behind his dad. Uh, and it was so cute. And it's just a, such a beautiful city. And it runs throughout the entire city. right? And then there's parks everywhere. It's a very park vibe city. So everyone's out because it's summertime. They're just chilling. Everyone's having... You can drink beer on, on, in the parks. And no one's going to get... You're not going to get in trouble for that. People mm -hmm. are smoking weed. <laughs> like it's, it's people are <laughs> dancing by the fountain. Um, yep. And it's just a very jovial... It's It's... I don't know if this is a good way to describe it. It's like Paris, right? Because you have French people, but way much but more fun. chill. Yeah, and fun. <laughs> <laughs> I love so, Paris, but the people yeah. there aren't so much fun. <laughs> yeah, so I've been to both and, and yeah, that, you know what I'm saying. So that's that's yeah, yeah. number two. Uh, and, and number three, like, I'm going to be biased because I live here, but I have to say Sydney. Like, for me, it's, you know, having gone and travelled around 40-plus countries and, and you know, things around the world. Um, we have it amazing in Sydney with the harbour and just, you know, you are an hour or two hours out of the Blue Mountains. You want to get in there and do your trekking and waterfalls and all these sort of things um, and quaint cafes and all this. Uh, and then you've got, obviously, if you like the water, you get on the harbour. Um, if you like the beaches, we've got just stunning beaches. And I lived in the Gold Coast for some time and I can tell you, like some of the beaches here, you know, are actually better than what's mm. up there. Um, and it's just, uh, it's a dynamic city. Like, it, it yeah. really is, you know. And, and it's its not as hectic as New York uh, or mm -hmm. Saigon. I've been to Ho Chi Minh and it's crazy busy. Uh -huh. um, uh -huh. and, and, but at the same time, it's, its you know, it, 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 particularly when it's not raining like it has been for the last month, um, it, it, it's a beautiful place to be. Yeah, yeah. Love it. 
And I hope you've enjoyed uh, being a guest on your own podcast as much as I've enjoyed interviewing you. Thank you for being such a fabulous guest. And, um, and you know, I hope that we've shared some really cool stuff with your listeners. You've been amazing, Sam. We're going to have to do a part two, I think, because... Uh, yeah, it's, because it's, I uh, didn't even get half through half of my <laughs> questions. <laughs> Same with with yours. I've got a whole bunch of questions for you still. So, uh, love it. Well, thank you for joining in, everyone. And please check out check out Sam's um, what she's up to over at Samantha Riley. Uh, Samantha, I've got it here. Samantha Riley global, um, and you can get onto you know join her group too. She's got an amazing group. Did you rename the group, or is it still the same? I re I did rename it. Gosh, I can't even remember how long ago. But it's the um, coaches, course creators, and speakers. That's right. Okay, so join that group, and if you are a coach, <laughs> consultant, speaker, uh, rising thought leader, Sam's an amazing, amazing coach and works with tremendous clients. Um, and we had the interview, the pleasure of interviewing some of her clients, uh, and they all love it the bits uh, as much as I do. So, uh, and also check out uh, Sam's podcast, which has been recently renamed to Influence by Design, uh, on all your favorite podcast shows. Thanks again, Sam. Thanks, Sam. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode. Hope you got something practical that you can go away and apply in your business. Now, as a thank you for being such an amazing listener, I've got something cool to share with you right now. Are you looking for a way to grow your B2B business or software company? Well, how about learning some of the best tips for content marketing, connecting with potential partners and pitching your business? Well, if that's you and sounds great, I invite you to join us on our upcoming B2B content marketing Q&A and speed dating podcast party. This is a live Zoom call for our community members and listeners to our podcast that can come along and you'll get to interact, learn something new, and then also have a chance to get expert advice and make valuable connections. All right, The session will be recorded and uh, published on our Authentic Influence Podcast. All right, so register now and join us live on Zoom. The next event is coming up in a few weeks' time. Just head over to simplecreativemarketing.com forward slash podcast party. That's simplecreativemarketing.com forward slash podcast party to register. There's only 15 spots, so if you want to jump in, uh, go ahead and do that today. Hope to see you there real soon. Now, just quickly, if you want to check out the show notes for this episode, just head over to simplecreativemarketing.com forward slash podcast, uh, and you can grab all the links and things and resources on there. And also, if you are a conscious entrepreneur, got a professional services business, working B2B, uh, and you've got an interest in building influence and income through showing up, serving others, and being real, then I invite you to join my Authentic Influence Warriors Facebook group. Uh, If you want to do that, just head over to simplecreativemarketing.com forward slash community. Okay, thanks for joining in, and I'll see you on the next episode. for listening to the Authentic Influence podcast at AuthenticInfluence.co. 